Amen. Thank you, worship man. Love that song. Thank you for using your gifts and talents every week. Good morning, Arbor Church. Oh, it's sunny outside. Come on. Good morning, Arbor Church. We survived Snowmageddon, and now we got sunshine. I hear rumors it's supposed to get up into the 70s this week. Yes, that's what I'm saying, for at least three days. Great. I'm going to love it. I got out yesterday and enjoyed the uh, sunshine of yesterday, ran up to Index and saw some of my friends up there. It was a good time hanging out in the sun. Hopefully you'll get out today with your family. Apparently, I forgot, but today is St. Patty's Day, which is why I'm wearing all blue. Uh, You know, I just get up and get going. I don't think about those things, but it is St. Patrick's Day. So if you've got green on, that's good. Maybe you won't get pinched today. Um, I I tried to get pinched by Garrett, which is why he has a black eye right now. So that's not a good option, I don't think, but maybe some of you like pinching one another anyway, but I don't really want to hear about that, especially if it's between your loved one and you. That's just personal information. So welcome to Arbor. You're like, what kind of opening is this? Well, it's called Scott. My name is Scott. I'm one of the speakers here at Arbor Church, and I'm thrilled to be up here again talking today. If it's your first time at Arbor, welcome. If you haven't been here for a while, you've been out and about doing things, welcome back. It's good to see you again. If you come here and you haven't missed a Sunday forever, great. Good to have you back in the building also. We are just glad you're here with us today to learn what God has to share with us. Um, We are in the midst of a series called Name Changers, people that encountered God and he changed their names. Last week, Jake shared a little bit of a story about how sometimes we're giving, given nicknames or loved names or family names by our family, and his little sister was given the wonderful name of Poop, which that's just a weird family. But if you've met Jake's family, you understand that whole nickname thing right there. So I, I too, though, have three children, and while they have their given names, there's, everybody kind of picks up a nickname. My oldest daughter, Morgan... We shortened to Mo or Momo. I don't know if there's a real good reason for it other than we were just lazy to say Morgan or maybe it's because she wanted Mo time, Mo money all the time and we just called her Mo. Then there's my 17-year-old daughter, Abigail, who we shortened to Abby but who has become affectionately known to me as Stinker, all right, because she just was a little stinker sometimes when she was small. She liked to throw fits and get angry and throw these little tantrums, and so she was a little bit of a stinker. I don't know if that's completely gone away at 17. They just look differently. (laughs) And then there's my son, Zachary, named after me. Zachary Scott is his middle name after me. And his nickname was taken from the realm of wrestling and fighting that we did in our house on Friday nights when we put the pillows out on the floor, the cushions down off the couch. Everybody was piling on dad trying to take me down. And his wrestling fighting name became Zach Punk Attack. That was his name. And he owned it. And he would learn to ambush me from all over, all over the house in different areas. And he carried that name with him. And it was, I affectionately called him Punk. And it became so much a part of him that he started kindergarten And then the kindergarten night came around where you go in to meet the teacher and your kids have written you a note on their desk and they've hung out some artwork. And the artwork this year that the kindergartners created was, I know my mom loves me because, I know my dad loves me because. I'm walking around looking at all these, trying to find my sons. And I see kids that have written, I know my mom loves me because she gives me hugs. I know my dad loves me because he makes me laugh. I know my mom loves me because she reads books to me. I know my dad loves me because he makes me pancakes. I'm like, oh, I make pancakes. I wonder what Zach's going to say. So I get down to Zach's and I know my mom loves me because she hugs me. I know my dad loves me 
because he hits me and calls me punk. <laughs> that sums it up right there. There I am in kindergarten, elementary, very elementary, and the teacher standing right there. Oh, this, you must be Zach's dad. Uh, yes. I hit my son and call him punk. I did not get sent to the principal's office. The police were not cold, called. Fortunately, they understood the dynamic of family wrestling and getting together. But that, that's Zach's nickname for me to this day. What's up, punk? How you doing, punk? And it carries both sides of that. And I think when we get names like that, nobody else really understands it. But there's this intimacy in your family with your nickname that means something significant to you. And that's about name changers. God has given you a name that is unique and significant to you and him. And when you encounter that and you understand that, and he calls you that, there's a power behind that. There's an intimacy and a connection. And that's what I hope we learn today as we continue this series of name changers. But let's pray and get our hearts ready. God, I come before you again today, Lord, asking you to move me out of the way, and that you would use your message to go through my outline and rearrange it as you need, God, and that your words would be spoken to me and through me. God, I pray that as we come to you, and we have the amazing privilege just to sit at your feet and hear again from your words that you spoke and breathed the life so many thousands of years ago that are relevant to us today, that you would please, Lord, give us hearts that want to hear. Sorry, ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen and feet that want to change the world, God. I thank you for the opportunity just to sit down with you and hear what you have to tell us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of name changers revolves around this central idea. We are who God says we are. We are who God says we are. That'll be a constant battle in your mind. The enemy will continually try to fight that and rearrange that and tell you differently. But the essence of name changers is we are who God says we are. So far, we've learned about three name changers in the scripture, and each had a unique encounter with God and a unique name change. Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Saul to Paul. And so today, we're going to look at one of my favorites, Simon to Peter. And the reason I love Simon to Peter is because Simon to Peter illustrates the salvation story. Simon to Peter is a perfect picture and illustration of the salvation story of all of us. And as we go through the story today, I want you to look through the story in that lens. Where am I relating to Peter? How does this relate to my life? It's like watching a movie. Oh my gosh, that's just like, what? oh man, I've had that experience. Oh, we make all these connections to our life. The scripture wants us to do that, and the story of Peter is a perfect canvas to paint a story of our salvation story, your salvation story, because his is one that we can relate to. See, Peter did not immediately understand his name change. It took a three and a half journey with Jesus for Simon to fully understand and become Peter the way Jesus intended, not the way Simon thought it was going to be but the way Jesus intended. Along the way, Peter misspoke. 
He jumped from the boat. He walked on water. He was called Satan by Jesus. He cut off an ear. He denied three times. He hid. He sprinted. He went back to fishing. He ate breakfast with Jesus. He preached. He performed miracles. He led the church. But before he did that, he had to wrestle with he was who God called him to be. He didn't understand his name change right away. I believe the story of Simon becoming Peter paints a picture for us because he was so imperfect in what he did. Peter represents that journey with all its messiness, misunderstandings, impulsivity, faith, miracles, disappointments, joys, hurts, and ultimately, the true understanding of redemption, restoration, and revival from his darkest moments of denial. We're going to look at Simon becoming Peter kind of like a movie and a play with different acts and scenes in it. And each one of those is going to carry a theme that I hope you can walk out of here with to feel encouraged about and excited about because the story of Peter ends that way. And so I hope that we can do that together. Peter's story starts with a calling. And the theme is this, we are called by Jesus. Each and every one of you in this room are called by Jesus. Whether you believe that or not, it's there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The most universally known verse in the world, God loves you. He's calling you. And he was calling Peter before he ever even knew it. We're gonna pick the story up in John chapter one, but some quick background. Before Jesus stepped onto the stage of his ministry, his cousin John the Baptist was sent as a prophet to spread the word and preach that Jesus was coming. And John the Baptist was this wild, hairy guy that lived out in the desert by the Jordan River. And he'd preach about repentance and the coming of Jesus. And he baptized people in the river. And he gathered quite a following. In fact, he had his own disciples that he was prepping for the coming of the Messiah. And so this is where we pick the story up. John chapter one, verses 35 through 42. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that had heard John say about him and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is Peter's first encounter with Jesus, the Messiah. And in his first encounter, he hears this message of you will be called, not you are now, you will be called Peter. In our salvation story, there's always an encounter with Jesus. We may not always step into the following after that first encounter, but we all have an encounter with the person, the belief, the knowledge, the experience of Jesus in our life. And in that moment, he has a story for you. What do we do after that encounter? Well, let's see what happened with Peter. 
We step away for a little bit and we don't hear from Peter again, all right? And then we find him in Matthew chapter four. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Simon was a fisherman. That's how he saw himself. Big, burly, all right, rugged fisherman. He had this encounter with this Jesus Messiah who said, someday you will be called Peter, but right now you're Simon. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Follow me. And Simon did a very bold act. He left his nets on the shore and followed Jesus. And he stepped into following. That's the salvation opportunity we have for you today. You are called to step into following Jesus. He will reveal himself to you. He will call you. Do you respond by stepping in and following him? If you haven't made that decision today, following him is what we ask you to do. Because in following him, you will begin to see yourself as he truly wants you to see him. But more importantly, you will begin to see Jesus for who he truly is. See, Peter had one picture of Jesus, the Messiah. And in his three years of journey with Jesus, that was transformed into Jesus's picture of who he truly was. Let's read a little further in Mark chapter three to solidify Peter's role in Jesus's life. In Mark chapter three, Jesus says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted to come and came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. And then it goes on to list the other disciples. But who's listed first? Simon. Jesus always looked at Simon as the leader of the group. I don't think Simon got that into his mind or his heart till much later. In fact, Peter's relevant to us because I think like Peter, many of us walk along in our Christianity not fully grasping the power of what Jesus wants to do with us. We come up with all reasons why it wouldn't be. Simon Peter thought, I'm just a fisherman. I'm following along. I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully this kingdom on earth that he's going to build, the new Messiah, I'll be a part of that. So the picture here in the calling is, how misunderstanding do you have of the calling Jesus has made for you? Are you following? Do you feel you're appointed to do something in the life that he's giving you? The next act is affirmation. We are affirmed by Jesus. We are affirmed by Jesus. I don't know if any of you have had the privilege of being affirmed by somebody in public where they get up and say very kind words about you, they heap some praise on you, you get some recognition, or maybe even privately they speak something into your life to affirm what they believe about you. And that's a very powerful moment. Maybe you've experienced that in sports in your life or in a business opportunity or privately with your mom and dad somewhere along the way. Maybe in high school, a teacher believed in you. I have one affirmation experience from high school that I can remember, and the fact that I only have one from high school should tell you what kind of high school student I was. But I was, see, I'm glad somebody laughed at that. <laughs> I, it was in my senior English class, 
And we were asked to write an essay on our philosophy of life. And I, I consider myself a pretty good writer and I like to do poetry. And I wrote this beautiful piece of paper. We turned in our first drafts and the teacher corrected them and was handing them back out. And as she got to my desk, she paused and she handed mine to me. She said, class, I want you to know that of all the essays I've read, not just this year, in the past few years about the philosophy of life, Scott's was the most authentic, heartfelt, genuine one I've read. And there's a lot of why in there about his values to drive his philosophy. And Scott, I want to tell you that you've got a real gift for writing. I look forward to seeing more of what you write. That was powerful. And that really affirmed who I was and wanted to be as a writer. I mean, so much so that I ended up getting a C in that class. <laughs> Which again reinforces what type of student I was in high school. <laughs> but the point is this. There's something about someone that you look up to that is outside the perspective of what you see. I, I had an opinion about teachers and it wasn't very positive. And then I encountered a teacher that I respected and she said these amazing things to me and it planted a seed in me. Well, Jesus wants to affirm you. He has something to say about you that you might think counterintuitive to what you really think. Let's see what he says to Peter when he affirms him. This is in Matthew chapter 16. This is somewhere maybe halfway through the ministry of Jesus. While Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They were referring to all these Old Testament prophets that they feel had been reincarnated or come back to life or sent back from heaven to earth in Jesus. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Jesus doesn't care what you think other people say about him. He wants to know who do you say Jesus is. The salvation story is a personal story. Who do you say I am? I'm gonna give a personal encounter with you as Jesus. I'm gonna call you to follow me. I'm gonna affirm who you are, and then I wanna know who do you say I am. I'm gonna tell you who I think you are, but first you need to tell me who you think I am, because I can't affirm you if you don't tell me you believe in me and you think who I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my father, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Folks, this is one of the most powerful theological verses in the Bible. Jesus looked at Peter and says, you did not figure this out on your own thinking. Father in heaven spoke this truth to you. That opened a gateway for the disciples to have this unbelievable relationship with the Father through Jesus and to be revealed the truth of who Jesus was. And not only that, he said, Peter, because of that answer, you are now the spiritual rock. You are now the leader. And it's on what you said, the statement you just made that I am the Messiah, that I will build this church. Not on Peter himself, because Peter's just a man. But the cornerstone was Jesus. The cornerstone will always be Jesus. See, we tried to build our lives on earth on us and what we can do. Jesus says, uh-uh. You need to build it on me, the cornerstone. 
but in your faith and your belief in me, I can do so many good works and build the church. And that's what he was trying to tell those disciples and Peter right there. It's on this belief, this statement you just made, Peter, that I am the Messiah, that I will build the church and I will be the cornerstone to hold you guys up. I wonder in this moment what Peter thought. If he still was thinking in his misunderstanding, okay, we're building, Jesus is gonna build something and da, da, da. I don't think Peter fully got it. In fact, his declaration about Messiah's person led to a declaration of Messiah's program, which Jesus later said to him, I'm gonna have to die. Peter did not like that. He didn't understand that Jesus was gonna be the cornerstone. But if we look in Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 through 22, 22, we read this. Consequently, Paul writes, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation, not the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are two being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Folks, that's for us. When Jesus spoke these words to Peter, the foundation he was building and the rocks building built upon each other are us today. We are those rocks. He is telling us, if you put your belief in me as the cornerstone in your life and you follow me, you can be a part of this church that's gonna build and improve people and change their lives. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians, Paul shares, by the grace God has given me, I have laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus knew Peter would deny him and walked away. He also knew that Peter's reconciliation with him would be the picture of what the church was to be. Our salvation story is about calling others to Jesus. It's about teaching others about Jesus' love and forgiveness, about walking with others in relationship, correcting when needed, speaking truth always, and forgiving when failing. The reason for all these name changes is to paint the picture of Jesus as the Savior, the cornerstone. And if you have not understood that, you're not alone. If you don't understand where that's coming from, you're not alone. Peter misunderstood he himself walked with Jesus and saw the miracles. He himself thought he was going to be one thing only to find out it might be something different. I don't know if any of you have had a picture of what you're going to be in life and it looks different right now. That doesn't mean it's a disappointment and a failure. Maybe God's not finished with your story. For me, I thought I was going to be a famous motivational speaker or writer that would engage people around the world with my charisma, my charm, my good looks, and my smarts. That's a joke, everybody. You can laugh. <laughs> I really don't think that about myself too much. Just a little. I wanted to be this rare combination of fame and humility. If you look through my journals, I wanted to be this caring person that can make connections. I wanted to have this intensity and gentleness. And I had a piece of that for a while. And I had this idea that that's how God was going to use me. But in that time, he's given me a different call. I now feel my calling is to help those that are broken, to help the hurting find hope again, and just to lead a quiet, ordinary life as a school principal, speaking in the lives of families that God brings to my school. Because that's the ordinary that makes God extraordinary. 
Now, it doesn't mean God won't make you famous. It doesn't mean God won't elevate you for a place and position to be used by him. But Peter had this understanding that Jesus was bringing in this new kingdom to knock over the Roman Empire and take over, and he was going to be a part of that. And then the story turned. I need to become less to be more. I'm supposed to be a servant to all people that did not reconcile with Peter. And I think many of us walk around with this misunderstanding of what our salvation and our relationship with Jesus is about. We make it more about our expectations than Jesus. We have created a picture of Jesus in our mind that needs to lead a certain way in our lives. And Jesus comes along and says, that's not the correct picture. And in fact, you don't even have the right picture of yourself. Jesus is coming into your life like he did Peter to transform your understanding of who he is and what he wants to do in your life. Just like he told Peter, upon these rocks I want to build the church, upon your story in your life, he wants to build the church. We come to our next act, and that is denial. And maybe like Peter, you can reference this, because we have all doubted Jesus. We have doubted Jesus. I know I have in my life. I know there's some times in my life when I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not working out. God, you're even there. Do you even have eyes to see what's going on down here? I can't believe this is right. There's stories right here in this room of hurt and pain and devastation and tragedy and changed plans that seems like what is going on makes no sense. And I'm sure the disciples felt that. See, Peter didn't live his identity out right away. In fact, he struggled with it all along the way. He made blunders. And one of those blunders is known for the world around. See, at the Last Supper, Jesus had looked at Peter and said, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter said, no way, I'm never gonna do it. This echoes back to one time when Jesus said, I'm gonna have to die. And Peter said, no, I'm not. And God said, get thee behind me, Satan. In the span of a few verses, Peter went from being called the rock to Jesus telling him, get behind me, Satan, because Peter kept misidentifying his role in Jesus' life. And now we find Peter at the Last Supper being told, you're gonna deny me three times. No, I'm not. And so we pick up this, this situation where Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to pray because he knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He knows that he's going to be dying on the cross in a few hours. And his disciples fall asleep on him, including Peter. And Judas arrives at the garden, kisses Jesus on the tree, cheek, betrays him, and the soldiers rush in. And this is where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when someone there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. 
Some scripture says he called down curses. He was so angry. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And when that rooster crowed, Peter had a flashback to that last supper. Peter, you will disown me three times. No, I will not. I will not do that. Peter, I must go die before I rise. No, I will not let that happen. You get behind me, Satan. I won't deny you, Jesus. Rooster's going to crow three times, Peter, and you will deny me. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I wonder about that look. The Lord's up on a balcony, on trial for his life. Down in the courtyard, there's a mass of people. And Jesus looked off that balcony and right at Peter. Eyes locked. That's the intimacy of Jesus in our lives. That he can look right at us in a crowd of humanity. I don't think it was a look of shame. I don't think it was a look of disappointment. But it was a look. I don't know how many of you in this room have grown up with a parent that has the power of a look. My mom, my, my sweet, beautiful, little, kind mom had a look of devastation. I could be sitting in church up to the front of the side with a youth group, passing notes back and forth, not really paying attention, just biding our time through the sermon, and all of a sudden I feel the back of my head catch on fire, like something burning into my skull. And I'd like turn this little sideways casual glance over my right shoulder, and there's my mom with her arms crossed just giving me one of those looks. And that was the look of, mm-hmm, it's coming. My dad had a few looks, but nothing like my mom's looks. I don't know how moms can do that. They can even see your looks like when you're in the room. Don't you roll your eyes at me. How do you know I'm doing that? Come on, moms, testify. You know you've got that look at times, right? I love my mom, but man, she could give a look from across the room that would just, I better be good. I don't think that's what this look was from Jesus. I think this look was, oh, Simon. Simon, Simon, Simon. Do you not know that I see you as Peter if you would only live as Peter, the rock that I know you are? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. See, Peter the rock crumbled. Peter reverted to Simon. Peter went back to fishing. But Jesus the rock rose again. Jesus would return to Simon. Jesus went back to calling, affirming, and restoring. And the restoration he does is intimate and personal. And Peter's next experience with Jesus on the shore of Galilee. Which brings us to our closing act. We are restored by Jesus. We are called by Jesus. We are told to follow Jesus. We are affirmed by Jesus. We are restored by Jesus. Not by anything else. It's all through Jesus. There are other self-help books. There are things we can apply to our life that are good, but Jesus is the central theme here. Several days go by, maybe a few weeks go by. 
The disciples have left. They don't know what's going on. They're hiding. And we pick the story up in John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into his boat, but that night they caught nothing. You may have some success in life trying to live the way you think you need to live without Jesus, but as you're going to see, it's not going to be the abundance he intends. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said to them, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. Okay, now I got to pause. There's got to be some humor in here. Uh, maybe you don't get it if you're not a fisherman, but you know, a guy's on the shore, you've been fishing all night, haven't caught a thing. Did you catch anything? Any luck? No, haven't caught a thing. Did you try the other side of the boat? <laughs> Who is this guy? Move along. I know how to fish. Thank you, sir. I've been doing this my whole life. There, there's a little bit of comedy there. Hey, guys, try the other side of the boat. But to the disciples... Because earlier in his ministry with the disciples, he had performed another similar miracle of catching fish. And I wonder if something in them clicked. See, Jesus will put things in your life to try to snap you back to him. Do you respond? The disciples did. When they did, they threw the nets on their side. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Peter, outside his identity of Christ, could not catch fish. The minute Jesus showed up and spoke truth again, he caught fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped around his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. There's Peter again, jumping out of boats. I think maybe he thought he could walk on water again. Didn't happen that way. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time, the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Pause. These disciples had encountered him before since the resurrection. They had even seen miracles since the resurrection. He had done wondrous things since the resurrection. And yet they were still back in a boat fishing. We are no different. Our salvation story is no different. 
God does amazing things in our lives and we walk back over to our old identity over and over and over. And God is telling us, you are no longer that old creature, you're a new creature. What was dead is gone and you are alive now. You were remade in me. But we go back, just like Peter, to being Simon. We let our doubts and our trials, and our tribulations, and our whatever, our expectations of God, our misunderstanding of God, move us back into a fishing boat. And then when we do encounter God, we're too scared to say anything. We sit around in silence. And he's right there, wanting to have breakfast with us. So Jesus does what he always does. He initiates. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. All the way back to the beginning. Peter, if you love me, it's very simple. Follow me. Reside, remain in me. As a branch must remain in the vine to produce fruit, Peter, If you truly want to live as Peter, the rock, you have to follow me, not your messages, not the world's version of me, not your made up picture of me, but me who you've walked with for three years, who you've seen crucified. I stand before you risen again and I pursued you again to the shore of Galilee to pull you out of the boat to make you a shepherd, to go after the lost, to bring them back to me because I'm leaving and my salvation story is for everybody. And he doesn't care about your past because it doesn't define you. He cares about your future because it refines you. Your future with him is why he died. There's an interesting thing in this passage as you read it. Did you notice that Jesus did not call him Peter? Three times he called him Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I believe this was intentional because Jesus was restoring Simon back to Peter. I believe he was trying to tell Peter, stop acting like Simon. I did not die and rise again for you to be Simon. I affirmed you as Peter the rock. If you truly love me, then live in the name I have given you. That's the beauty of salvation, folks. It doesn't matter what we bring to the altar, to the cross of Jesus. He renames us. 
He gives us a new name in him and the old one is God because the only way he sees us when we stand in front of God, we see us in a mirror of unworthy and dirty. He sees us in the name of redeem that he's given us. And we keep going back to our old names, our old ways. That's not what it's supposed to be. See, Peter finally got it. He understood the story of life that Jesus was painting. That it's about all the messiness, the mistakes, the disappointments, the joys, the highs, the lows, the anger, the doubts, all of it piled into one thing that Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I wonder if you or I are living in our true name and identity, Jesus. Or perhaps, like Peter, you are following based on your own expectations. Perhaps, like Peter, you are doubting and in denial. Perhaps, like Peter, you've gone back to a former life, a former way of living. But there is hope because Jesus calls everyone. He's still wanting you to follow him. He is ready to call you back to him. He is ready to restore you to him and to truly understand who he is and how much he loves you. Because he changes hearts just as he changes names. So wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, wherever you think you've been and you're not worthy, you are worthy. So why don't you decide today, I will follow Jesus. And maybe it's time for you to restore yourself to Jesus. And maybe it's time you go find Jesus on a rocky shoreline next to a fire ready to have breakfast with you. Because it will not only be a name changer, it will be a life changer. Let's pray.